our faces and we're live and then effectively transforming community peace in our human family volume and unity divine light shining individually effectively transforming community peace in our human family As above, so below, feel the pain in my soul, the rep he'll dissolve. Organized, no matter the cost, politicians start wars, they don't fight, they sit the poor. And nothing lasts forever as long as we stay together, give hell to the masses, watch the unity rapture. This is for the kids and the culture, it's one love, one growth, one light, light warriors. Hello everybody on YouTube world and uh facebook world especially facebook world where i mostly get love and uh instagram world where i get a lot of love hello everyone good morning um this is a surprise live feed um i just met this person off of facebook that is doing an awesome kwanzaa event that's going to be live for all black people to do and be a part of um she's american and she's currently in nigeria um, very, very awesome. So, without further ado, let me introduce yourself, uh, Portia. <laughs> Hi, thank you for having me. That, first of all, the intro is so dope. I've heard it multiple times over the past day and a half, and I love it. Oh, yeah, I love it. Oh, so, thank you. That's what's up. <laughs> thank you. Uh, yeah, you, can, you, you yeah. can get that. I can hear you. Yes. Thank you, thank you so much. Okay. It looks like we might Good. have like a little um, lag, so be be careful. I'm not be mindful, guys that are listening. Um, we have a little lag. Uh, sorry about that, but that's how international is. <laughs> yep. I mean, All when right. you get to Nigeria, that's probably the first thing you learn is that the internet is terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, I've uh, interviewed a few uh, Afrobeat artists in um, on my podcast, and it's literally like. Oh, all right. The internet's good. Let's try it right now. But then it was one time we had to literally like mess around with the internet and like take our cameras off and turn our cameras back on. It was just a mess. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, fingers but, crossed we don't have to do that. But you know, um, I had the same issue when I interviewed someone in, in Thailand and someone in um I can't even think of the other places. It they just got it. They'll get it together one day. One day. <laughs> it's just a big problem everywhere too. It's a problem one here day. too, but um, one day I don't. It's know. not that big a deal in my area, but <laughs> in the other area I was in, it was bad. <laughs> so right. you're the CEO of Mystic Rose, yeah, um, a publishing service. Uh, mm-hmm. so what's uh Mystic Rose yes. about? So Mystic Rose Publishing Services is a company where we help independent writers and authors self-publish their books. So a lot of first-time writers are terrified of the self-publishing process. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to go about it. So we take them through the whole process. We coach them. We edit their books. Maybe we do a bit of ghostwriting. We do cover illustration or full illustrations, cover design, formatting, publishing, and marketing. So the entire book creation process we help authors with. That That's awesome. Um, I'm not really well versed in like the author world. Is that something that uh, that is standard or is that like above and beyond um, for, for them? Like just teaching them how to like get things done. This seems like, like you do standard. a great service. Oh, wow. Okay, that's nice. I'm, I'm kind of jealous as like- an artist. <laughs> You know, most people want to write a book, right? You always hear somebody 
saying, oh, I'm working on this book or this story that I'm going to publish. The problem with becoming an author is that there's so much information out there. If you try to go it on your own and you hop in Google, you will spend hours in that wormhole of Google with nothing but information. And by the time you come out the other end, you have more questions than answers. So wow. it's definitely possible. You do it without help, but trying to filter through all of that information. Some people say do it this way. Some people say do it that way. Mm. Uh-oh. I think we're losing you a little bit. Uh-oh. Uh, Portia, we might have to uh, oh. turn off our uh, cameras. Yeah. We might have to turn off our cameras Great. for a little bit. Okay. <laughs> Let me okay. See. How do I turn off? I'll turn All right, off my, my camera, camera is off. All right, let me turn off my camera. Uh... Right. My is camera that is. Any that sounds perfect. I can hear you perfectly. Oh, good. <laughs> you know the, the international uh interview is always uh is always tedious but it's still worth it so yeah. yeah how did you uh how did you like realize that you wanted to start this publicly on a company um actually i've been freelancing i started as a freelancer i don't even i can't remember when but i've been doing it for about 10 almost 15 years now and after freelancing for such a long time, I realized that my reach is so very limited. I would have authors who've heard about my work and heard about how I helped other authors and they want to come to me for help, but I can't help them because I'm working on another project. Right. So some of those were really, I would say, hurtful to me. <laughs> like it really mm. hurt me uh, when one particular potential client, she came to me, she told me her entire life story in why she's working on a particular book and i couldn't help her in it i mm. hated it it really hurt me to know that i just i wouldn't have the time to be able to give her book what it needs so i had to let her go and that was the moment i realized like no this is not this is not gonna cut it this is not gonna cut it so um i decided let's just go big let's make it bigger so there were a couple of editors that I trained and writers, mm -hmm. cover designers, illustrators that I've previously worked with. And so I just teamed everybody up and was like, look, you guys are going to come work with me. And a lot of them followed me. So here we wow. are. Wow. Wow. You just took a whole, you just took a whole empire. <laughs> I did. I was like, <laughs> I was like, look, y'all, we finna do this. So jump on board. Cause I need you. And, and they knew, they knew, I think, um, a big reason why they followed me was because they knew where my heart was. So it really wasn't about just making money because I was doing that as a freelancer. So it wasn't right. really about that. It's about being able to help so many people. Everybody has a story to tell, but not everybody has the ability to tell it. We have that talent. So we can make somebody's dream come true. We can help that one author reach hundreds of thousands of people. And to know that, you know, uh, I would say, <laughs> I'm trying to think of one particular author that we helped. Um, his life has changed drastically after publishing his books. And it was because we helped him do it. And wow. the relationship that we were able to cultivate out of that working relationship, he's now like my big brother. Like, it's just been a beautiful thing. So helping people That's create amazing. their stories and having a team that believes in that and they themselves have that passion for it. It's just been a blessing. That's amazing. I like that. And so I know I see that you're like very, very into our culture, um, yes. which is which is awesome. Um, do do you center black artists, or do you work with any um, any artist that artist uh, author any author that uh, just needs help? We do. We work with any author that just needs help. Um, my mm. team is very diverse, so it's not just a you know a team of black talent, nice. but I definitely <laughs> I, I I don't know how to say this without sounding shady, but hey, I favor 
I favor black authors. I do mm -hmm. because I feel like our stories are never told the way we want it to be told. Right. And too many times do I see black authors go the traditional route and those traditional publishing houses, they're ran by white, mostly white men. Yes. So the story that a black author is going to publish through a white owned traditional publishing house, it's going to be watered down. It's going to be distorted. The way they market it is going to be distorted. And even if the white publisher thinks, okay, we will make sure that we market specifically to the African-American community, they still, don't, they're not going to do it right. They don't know. They don't yeah. know. So they're going to try to outsource to find somebody who they think represents the entire black community and then try to market to that one person's desires or what they think uh, they want. So I really look for authors, black authors who want to self-publish because that gives them full control. And me as a black woman and my marketing partner, who is also a black woman, we know through and through what works and what doesn't. We don't have to outsource that information. We know because we awesome. grew up in it. So I, I definitely favor black authors, but we help, we help everybody. Anybody who comes along that needs help, we help them because a story is a story, whether it's a black story or a white story, a story still needs to be told from a human perspective. And cur so cur yeah. we make sure we do that. that that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, how did you end up uh, moving to Nigeria? Was was there more authors oh. that you found to help, or you just felt like you, you should go? I'm a Pan Africanist. I I want to go back to Nigeria and Ghana and all that stuff. Very right. Very soon, it's like a dream of mine. Um, wow. So, yeah. So I'm I'm like, how did you end up there? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> well, honestly, I fell in love. I fell in love with a Nigerian guy. And he was living in Nigeria at the time. So I was like, screw it. I know I wanted to come back to my roots anyway. So <laughs> right, let me right. come here. So I came here and he ended up proposing to me. Wow. I didn't expect that. So he proposed to me the day that I arrived here and we got married um, three months later. Yeah, three months later. And I've been here ever since. That's absolutely awesome. What's the culture like? Oh man, it's um it's not what we think. I realized when I first came to Nigeria, the culture shock was so massive because it's not what it's not what I thought. Now, I came in 2019. When I was in America, I didn't really know a lot about African culture besides what we are told in our own communities, not even school. Right television but just like what black people talk about and what black people think they know right, so that's right. what i knew um sure i knew a couple of nigerian artists or i was into Afrobeat and of course um like fashion and things like that but that is not a great depiction of what nigeria is and so it wasn't until i came here that i realized how big the culture is and how much we actually have it wrong so mm. like you think when you come to the country, if if you're of the right mindset and you don't automatically think that, oh, there's no there's no modernism, you know, there's no technology. Everybody's living in huts. If you remove that idea and I feel like a lot of black people today realize that that's not the truth, right. but we're still far behind in the reality. And the reality of it is that, yes, Nigeria is very progressive, uh, but one of the major problems is it should be a lot further. If you look at the talent and the abilities that come out of this country, honestly, Nigeria really should be Wakanda, for real. And I mean right, that in right. every sense. The technology that comes out of here, the, the children who know how to code the way they do, the things that they create, the cryptocurrency that is here, the Nigerian government, government banned cryptocurrency as a form of control even though those goofballs end up creating their own digital currency later, but they right. still banned it. So cryptocurrency is banned here, which makes no sense. But there's so many talented individuals, especially the younger generation, who know how to do that. They know how to mine. They know how to create the coins. They know how to do coding. They know, like, it's insane the level of knowledge and technology that's out here and that's taught at a young age. 
Like my nieces and nephews, they are younger than seven years old and they already know how to do that stuff. And it's insane, but it goes nowhere because the government has a very tight grip on the progression of the country. And therefore, Nigeria is looked at as one of the weaker countries. But if it was ran the way it was supposed to, this country could thrive. And that's what I love mm. most about it is that it's so <laughs> and Nigeria is kind of like the underdog, um, not in the sense that it's weak, but it it has the power, it has the potential, and it's just waiting for its moment. Because as soon as that moment comes, Nigeria is going to blow up and be all over the map. And I'm not just talking about music or fashion or anything like that, but I mean, like, economically. You look at the natural resources that come out of this country. I live in Enugu, which is the coal city. The amount of coal that is produced here, the crude oil that is produced in Nigeria, the, I mean, even the fruits and vegetables that grow here naturally is mind-blowing. So right. Nigeria could be so huge if given the right opportunity. That's absolutely awesome. And that's exactly what I hear all the time um, when I talk to uh, journalists and analysts about uh, the situation in Nigeria, um, especially uh, with the government um, and how the police treat Nigerians there. Um, definitely a lot of solidarity and understanding of how it goes here as well, too. Um, and once that colonial pull, that colonial influence, because the government is just colonized. And once that is pulled, there's so much more, so much beauty that Nigeria can share because they already are touching the world, which is their music. Like I listen to Wizkid, I listen, I, I was, I listen to Tiwa Savage, I listen to uh, Burner Boy, I listen to all of them all the time. They are like literally like in my culture at this point. <laughs> like, <laughs> straight up a part of me at this point <laughs> right they're like my new jay-z's my new beyonce's and stuff like that <laughs> uh, That's what's up. right and I, I i can't wait to go and visit um i'm definitely saving up for it that's 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 yeah. so that's so awesome i didn't know that kids knew how the cold like it's nothing there like yep. that just shows you that the intelligence then the 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 reach the potential reach that is just being ignored and stuff like that. Exactly. And a lot of black Americans, I, they do, they do. I, I'm pretty sure some of them like in the older generation do feel still that it's like a third world. Um, everybody's living in huts, but that's breaking. That's still stigma. That whole stigma is breaking. Like we're definitely being aware that Ghana and Nigeria um, South Africa, all the, there's a lot of countries you could go to that are that are progressing and beautiful and rich. I think Nigeria is the richest country in um, the African continent. That's how I checked, um, and that's just what we have to we have to literally like decolonize our mind because they make us hate that continent and not want to go back. That's what it's right. really meant for. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like, a, and like a big part of it, though, is that mindset, like you said, um, because Nigeria is still, compared to other countries, Nigeria is still new. It's 61 years old. 61 right. years ago is when it gained its independence from the United Kingdom. Right. So it's still relatively a baby. But in those 61 years, it there's just been like this steady decline. I mean, there was a period where Nigeria was thriving. But when Buhari got into office, it just declined after that. And it was a matter of greed. So right. the government is not really concerned with anyone or anything else but themselves in their pockets. And that's what it's all about. So when you have these kids that know how to code and that are able to do a lot, the first thing, the first thing they think is, okay, well, let me get out of here. Let me go to the UK. Let me go to America. Let me go to Canada and spend my talents there. Nobody right. is taking what they've learned and actually putting it into this country. And it's because they can't. They can't. There are no jobs here. You know, it's difficult to get a job. It's difficult to thrive or even run a business. So everybody takes their talents and then they run away. 
they leave, they make their money outside, and then they come back and spend it in Nigeria. But the money that's spent in Nigeria still goes to the government. It doesn't go to the people. So it's not like you can go to the U.S., become a billionaire, and then come back to Nigeria and spend your billions of U.S. dollars in Nigeria and think it's going to help Nigeria. It's not. Mm -hmm. If you come back and spend that money, you'll be spending it on yourself or your family, but it won't go towards the economy. And that's terrible. That's 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 absolute. That's that's good insight. Thank you so much for explaining it and breaking it down like that, because there's so much to prepare for when you go over there. You got to know you have to know what it's like there. Um, yeah. And that's, that's I wish the government would just see. Um, I didn't know we were going to get into a conversation about Nigerian government, but this is good, though. <laughs> um, I wish the government will see what they're doing to their working class. I wish mm. there was somehow, some way, but they're too influenced by the money, you know. Um, yeah. Money can I blind you <laughs> in the can. wrong way, in the good way. <laughs> and the, the thing about it, though, is they see it, you know, because it's not, it's not like Nigerians are quiet. You know, right. the people aren't quiet. That's why you have Biafra. Biafra is a Nigerian people, but they don't claim to be Nigerian anymore because the government is so messed up. So it, they are their own people and they all mostly reside in the East. But the Nigerian government, they're all from the North. So all of their money is funneling in the North. If you hmm. come to Nigeria, they say the best place to live where it's comfortable and a lot like the U.S., you live up North. Hmm. Because that's that's who the government fights for. So if you live in the east and you live in the south, they don't care about you. They do not care about you. So the money is not coming down here. Me, I live in the east right now. So I see all of the madness. And then if we go up north, you see, oh, wow, the streets are cleaner. The schools are nicer. There's water without a problem, electricity without a problem. But if you come down to the east and the south, you can forget about it. Mm. None of that mm. is for you. Ironically, though, the East is where all of the natural resources are coming from. Ironically. <laughs> Ironically. <laughs> that's that's so weird how the, how the most impoverished place is the most exploited. <laughs> exactly. Look at that. So, you know, a lot of people say, you know, I want to come to Nigeria because it's better than America. Really, the grass is always greener. No matter where you are, you're always going to think the other side is better. That's why Nigerians want to come to America. One right. is not better than the other. You just swap one struggle for another. And that's really all it is. Yep, yep. And I, the only way to stop these struggles, you're going to have to fight them. You're going to have to be revolutionaries. And not everybody's built for that. Not everyone can. I mean, they could help out in small ways, which is always good, but. We need more revolutionaries. We need our Fred Hamptons back. We need our mm -hmm. uh, Sada Shakur's back. We need, we need our, uh, we need more Angela Davises. You know, like yeah. we, she can't do it all on her own. <laughs> exactly. You definitely need all of those people, but everybody has to be of the same mindset, or else it won't work. Right. So you look at um, Nigeria had the Biafra civil war. Civil war that was back in the seventies, and it was deadly. It was deadly. And even after that, no, we're not currently in a civil war, but what has changed since then? Not much. It got better right. for a short period of time, but we're right back where we were. Well, right. maybe not exactly. It's not as bad as it was, but mm -hmm. still the progression is not enough, even in the States. Like we had mm -hmm. the civil war, or, not the civil war, I'm sorry. We had the civil rights movement back in the US and it was like, okay, well, look where we are now. And a lot of people say, oh, it's so much better. Is it really? Because it, no. to me, the progression is minuscule compared to what they were trying to achieve because it wasn't just about integration. Oh, right. great. We can all go to the same school. That's not what the civil rights movement was about. Right. It was right. so much bigger than that. And if you look at where we are right now in the States, we have not gotten to where they wanted us to be. So right. you're talking about Fred Hampton and Angela Davis. And even if you wanted to throw in Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X, we're not where they wanted us to be. Right. Right. So. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, you can even see within um, MLK memoirs real quick. Uh, I can't think of which one it was. He was just saying that he feels that he could have done more. And he feels like he has put his people in a situation that cannot be fixed. Like he, he, the man was very like 
in, intuitive and trying to see how he can grow and evolve. And there's no telling what else he could have accomplished after if he wasn't assassinated. So it's a it's so it's so much work. It just tells us so much work needs to be done, and it's gonna take time. But yeah, we, we just gotta keep it, like encouraging our leaders that are doing this work right now just like listen keep going keep going because you never know you know shit our lifetime it probably will get better but at least it'll get better <laughs> <laughs> i mean we, we can only hope so right and i feel like a big part of that is how we prepare the younger generation and i think that right there is the main problem and that's why i formed the emancipation movement because mm believe it or not, no matter what anybody says, right through here, things aren't going to get much better while we're alive. It's just not going to happen. But that does not mean we're at a loss. It doesn't mean that the fight is futile because the way to fight now, even though we know we're going to die before it it gets to where it needs to be, we have to prepare our younger generation for it because they'll be the ones that are fighting. It's not really us. We're not doing this for us. Just Mm. like you, you look at the civil rights leaders. Did they really do that for them? Because they thought that things would change in their lifetime. I don't think so. I personally don't think so. I would like to talk to somebody and ask them, when you were marching, when you were going through what you were going through, did you think you would achieve what you wanted to achieve while you're alive? Or did you do it mm. for us? Mm. And I think that is a big question that we need to ask ourselves. So everybody always, like Black people always talk about, oh, we need to do this and we need to do that because this isn't right. But what are you doing and who are you doing it for? Because you're doing it for you and it's not going to change. What you do right now is not going to change anything in your life. Sorry. But that doesn't mean That's the the new rise that I have a problem with that I'm starting to see between certain Black people that are like, like I'm, I'm all pro for building economic wealth, but every person that I that I see that's like preaching that real hard, there's a few that are not, thank God. But there are a lot mm-hmm. of black individuals that are just like, well, this is individual wealth, and I'm trying to just build it for my family. I'm getting my kids out the hood, and I'm like, what about more of building a community as well too, keeping the right. air to the streets and helping out your fellow black people. Like, how could we do this collectively instead of us just leaving each other? Because right. there's still going to be poverty that you're leaving instead of a, po- a poverty that you can help uh, d- diminish. Um, and I think that's what uh, what kind of trend that's starting to, like, like get into people's ear a lot more within our community um, mm-hmm. Instead of the, the more community trend, I mean, the community trend comes and goes, I see. It only comes around when something epic happens, like Black Panther or something. And it's like, yeah. But then all of a sudden people are like, well, Kanye has a point. And I'm just like, you can't, <laughs> you can't do that. Like, I love Kanye, but he's not, he's not really someone to, like, <laughs> be follow. a role model. Yeah, follow and yeah. stuff like that. He's... He's Kanye, and you know, and he's not really like someone to follow. So, like, he should have read his Nat Turner history years ago before he said that. He should have read his Haitian history years ago before he read before he said that. But um, I mean, it's just I I think we're at a breaking point of which stances that we want to follow here in America. I think that's what's happening. Right. <laughs> I I mean I agree. It is. But I, I, I agree with what you're saying. Like, we do have to be careful who we follow. But I think the problem is that we are all looking for somebody to follow. And that's, that's not a right. good look. We can't just follow somebody because if we're always following one individual person, we ourselves will never be of the right mindset to enact change. Because right. when you follow somebody, that means you're looking to that one person to be the one to tell you what to do to make act, to take action and make a move. But progression can't happen that way. Everybody needs to be willing to be their own leader for the people. Mm. You know what I mean? And mm. I, I just, I feel like that's the struggle, right? Because right. though we are fighting against the oppressor to get where we want to be, we're also fighting ourselves because not everybody's of the right mindset where they want to be free. They say right. they do because it sounds nice because everybody says it in a song. Right, but right. 
they don't actually want it. Because if you did, your actions, your your daily actions would change. And I think that's that's the problem. Yep. Yep. And so this emancipation movement, um, it, how how when did it start? Like did you did you get help with it or you were able to build it on your own? Um <laughs> so that's a tricky one. How did it start? I honestly do not know how I started this. <laughs> um I don't <laughs> I don't because ever since I was younger, I've always had um parents who showed us the truth. You know, my parents never hid reality from us. So they le- allowed us to see the real world and and who people are and what to watch out for and things like that. So as a young kid, I've always been fascinated with change. Mm. And I knew, like, I was like 10, 11 years old. I remember telling my mom, look, one day I'm going to be the person to make the change because I don't want to be like everybody else. I don't want to be a sheep looking for somebody to, to follow. I don't want to follow anybody. I want to be surrounded by like-minded individuals and we all are leading ourselves. And so I've always had that mindset and it was when I came to Nigeria and it was right around the time where um, xenophobia in South Africa was huge. So there were a Mm. lot of Nigerians being killed in South Africa just for being a Nigerian. Like there was no other reason, no other reason, just the fact that they were Nigerian in South Africa. So it was right around that time and my husband and I were having discussions about how crazy that is and how no one was doing anything about it. Supposedly there were like, um, oh, why can't I think of the word? Uh, Evacuations. Supposedly Nigeria had a couple of evacuation places uh, set up in South Africa to evacuate Nigerians out and bring them back to the country. But not a lot of people were making it or it was in areas where it was difficult or whatever the issue was, not a lot of people made it to the evacuation point. So a lot of people were just being slaughtered on the daily. And I realized right then and there that all this time we, I'd been dealing with the the same type of issue in America Mm. where, you know, this, this was, I think maybe a couple of years after Trayvon Martin and that one affected me the most because my brother was his age at the time. Right. And right, right. I, it had, it really had messed me up. And so dealing with that, and even though it was years later, I would still wake up in the morning and see my brother's face and just be scared and pissed off at the same time, knowing that that could have been him. I mean, though he does not go out, <laughs> my brother, he didn't, he didn't go out at night, but. <laughs> still knowing that he could have just been at school or maybe walking to the library or something and that could have been him. So dealing with that, then the whole xenophobia issue with my husband, of course, he wasn't my husband at the time, but all of that was just kind of piling on me, like on my brain and on my heart. And I was telling him, I was like, we got to do something. Like we we can't just sit here. And And I'm thinking it's too big, right? That's the first thing I thought was, this is too big. How can I help my people and then try to help Nigerians. Like, how can right. I do? Who am I? So much. <laughs> to do that? It's too much. Who am I to go and try to do that? And then I realized it doesn't have to be me because it's not just me. I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one who feels this way. I'm not the only one who wants to make change. And so through my career as a freelancer, helping different authors, I was hit with so many different stories about the same thing. So I'm working with one author after another and the one author, her cousin was killed by the police. And then another one, Laquan Johnson, that's the one I was talking about earlier. He's like my big brother. Now his stories were a lot about racism and dealing with all that. And it was just, it was so much. And I'm like, screw it. We got to do something. Right. And so all of these authors that I work with, the people that I've connected with, I realized that we are all of the same mindset and we all know that the solution to all of this is our children. And I don't have kids yet, <laughs> but I know the solution to all of this is our children. 
the only way for us to gain freedom is to teach our babies. And I'm not talking about our 14 or 15 year olds. Like they need to be taught too. But I mean, our little, little ones, like 13 month old, 14 year month old, they need to start learning this stuff, mm. learning how to thrive. That's how you change the culture. Exactly. That's what the emancipation movement was all about. Because it's not just like, we can't just go out and protest y'all. I'm sorry, it don't work. It doesn't work. You have to have internal movement, something that is happening within the community, not just outside for them to see, but something that we're doing inside that nobody else is seeing. They don't know how we're raising our kids. We know. And that's mm. what we need to be doing. It needs to be a movement from the inside. And so the emancipation movement, my husband actually came up with the name, but it's about sharing that knowledge with each other. Because you can't teach your child if you yourself don't know. So the Emancipation Movement became a group of individuals who have that knowledge and are willing to share that knowledge. Then it kind of grew to people who didn't have that knowledge and wanted to learn. So on Juneteenth, we hosted everything that we do is always free and it's always virtual because, number one, I'm here in Nigeria, so I can't be making it places. But Mm -hmm. it's easier for everybody else to come together. So on Juneteenth, we did our first emancipation movement um, event, and it was all about eight aspects of black life, what black life looks like, what we need to know, what we need to start teaching our children And the discussion was amazing because we weren't just talking, but we were asking. And that was the most important thing to me. Like, we don't need to just talk. We can sit down and we can talk all day and nothing comes out of it because we're just talking. But when people start asking questions, oh, my God, it's those questions that turn into change because those questions bring about answers. And in order to formulate an answer, you have to know what you're talking about. And a lot of times you might not know the answer. So it causes you to go in search of for that answer. So we were asking each other questions and trying to give each other answers. And by the end of it, I personally had learned so much about myself, about marriage and black love, things that I didn't previously know. It made me and my husband look at our marriage in a different light. And it it actually helped us. It actually helped us. And so we were like, this is dope. So we created the Facebook group to try to get people to join. Then once we did that, we hit the same wall that we have been hitting uh, in the black community where you have people click the like button, but that's it. Yep. And that's <laughs> yep. And I don't care about that. I don't care about <laughs> the like button. Y'all could not like it at all. All I want to do is have people ask questions, get answers to their questions. That's all it's about. Because if we're not asking questions, we're not progressing, period. That's it. Exactly. So I think for me, that was after the Emancipation Movement Juneteenth event. That's kind of when I hit my low. And I was like, this is messed up because black people are just letting me down. And it's not about the likes or the subscribers. Or I don't care about any of that. It's just the right. fact that the conversation didn't continue afterwards. Right. Right. Um, I so I so I, I so feel you on that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel you on that. That's why I'm always saying like it only feels like community when something like Black Panther comes up. Like you got to right. literally get people out of their uh, whatever they're doing. And yes, we get it. Um, but they gotta understand that this type of because uh, as an activist, I learned that this type of uh, life is a sacrifice. Yeah. Mostly it's not about photo ops and oh, I put Black Lives Matter on my on my Facebook page or something like that. It's like, no, you got to be out in these streets. You have to be uh, coordinating these trainings. You got to be passing out this literature talking to people about working class consciousness and stuff like that for example you have mm-hmm. to put in the time you can't just be like oh i like this i like that and that's it <laughs> and you only come out once in a while when when it's nice and warm but i don't see you anywhere when it snows out like <laughs> right that's what i'm saying like you know it's just a shame that black people don't 
they don't like putting the action in. They say, oh, I want this. I want this freedom. I want to be able to do what I want to do. I want to be able to go out and not worry about my life. You want that, but you're not willing to do what it takes to get it, right? Like, let's right. let's look at this another way. Let's say you want to become vegetarian, right? You're hooked on meat. You love meat, but you know it's bad for you, so you want to become a vegetarian. So all you do all day, every day is just post, post, post about the vegetarian life. Oh, yeah, this is the plant based this thing. And I'm going to eat that thing. And you eat it every once in a while. But then when the family has a cookout and they're cooking ribs and steak and burgers and hot dogs, you go and you tear it up. Right. (laughs) So if I come to you as a vegetarian and I'm like, yo, what happened? You went to the family cookout or you went to Thanksgiving and you shown up has some turkey. (laughs) Don't look at me stupid because I called you out and said you were not a vegetarian. Right. So that's what it's like for me. That's that's how I see it. And it's just like, okay, you say that you want this freedom, right? You want to be emancipated. You want black people to thrive but you're part of the problem because you're not willing to do what it takes and it's huge i understand that it's so big right the black community we're massive they call us a minority that's a lie we are massive and to try to change an entire people maybe it's not possible because humans are humans right Mm -hmm. we always think of ourselves first no matter what we always think of our families first if that's the case, then own it, own it. I'm tired of hearing people say, oh, I want this, I want that, but then their actions say otherwise. And that's just, that's what I don't like about it. And that's what I love about the emancipation movement, those who are actually in it, because they actually live and breathe what they say and what they teach. Mm. They live that life. So it's like, I'm sorry, I can't, they're about that life, yes. But they're about that life. They really are because like they live and breathe that every day. And for them, it's not just about being pro-black and all that fun stuff. Like, that's great. But it's about Mm -hmm. helping the people around them, the fellow black people around them, pushing forward, pushing that agenda. And they live and breathe that every day. So it's not just an event for them. It's not just a Facebook post. It's not just thumbs up or a like but it's their life and it's difficult like it's difficult to get there because it's almost like a habit like i said becoming vegetarian is hard because it needs to become a habit and you know habits are formed after however many days what is i don't know what is it last time i checked they said two weeks but i don't know i think everybody's different That's what they say, but I'm like, I think everybody's different. It definitely takes me a month to build a habit on something. <laughs> a month? Give me three months, please. Give me 90 <laughs> days and my habit is good to go. <laughs> yeah, that's real. But, yeah, and so that that idea is what um, kind of created the idea for the Kwanzaa event that's coming mm. up. Yeah, so let's, how's that? How that's gonna go? Because that's awesome. Okay, so all right, let's let's backtrack a little bit. So after yep. the Juneteenth event, we were having a discussion. A lot of people were talking about Quanta, and one of my very good friends, she was one of the biggest sponsors and supporters of the Juneteenth event. She was like, "I've always wanted to celebrate Quanta," and that statement kind of just slapped me in the face. And I was mm. like, wait, what? You always wanted to celebrate Kwanzaa? So what happened? <laughs> like, did somebody tell you not to? Did someone stop you? Like, where is that coming from? You always want to celebrate Kwanzaa, so do it. And she let me know. She don't know how. She doesn't know exactly mm. what's involved. She looked it up on Wikipedia one time, and she read it, and she thought yeah. it was cool, and that was it. And she knows a couple of things, but doesn't really know the story behind it or the reason behind it. And therefore they didn't do it. And then, and I started thinking back to other people that I talked to about it. And they all said the same thing. I grew up celebrating Kwanzaa. My I think it was my granddad who started it. And then my dad adopted it. And so we had been celebrating it for my entire childhood. So I remember 
I used to tutor at my sibling's schools and I went to the school and it was a predominantly white school. And one of the teacher's aide there was a black guy. So he and I, we got along pretty well and we would have discussions and was right around the holiday time, right? So we're right. talking about Kwanzaa and like the only other black child there besides my sibling <laughs> was like, what's Kwanzaa? And my entire heart just broke. I was like, baby, you are the only other black child in this whole school and you don't know what Kwanzaa is. <laughs> and of course I didn't say it. I didn't say that to the child because it is not the child's fault because right. the parent might not know and their parents right. might not know. So I was like, we gotta do it. And it was actually a really close friend of mine who was like, well, just do it just do a Kwanzaa event with the emancipation movement. And I was like, you're a genius. So she, <laughs> I, I hadn't thought of that. I hadn't thought of it. So she actually put it on my calendar. That was back in June. She added it to my calendar and was like, you are going to do this. So I said, yes, ma'am, I'm going to do it. <laughs> so, so I did it. So we decided that we're going to invite every single black person from both Africa and the U.S. to a virtual Zoom Kwanzaa event. Like I said, everything with the emancipation is free and everything is virtual. So we just want people to hop on with your camera and come celebrate Kwanzaa with us. We've been releasing videos that will show you how to prepare and what you need because, you know, of course, there are a couple of items that you need to properly celebrate. But right, right. during the event, we are going to not just have fun and play games and listen to music and tell stories and all that, but we're going to talk about the tradition of Kwanzaa. And then we're actually going to do the actual celebration. Because, you know, every night there's like, I wouldn't call it a, some people call it a ritual. I don't like calling it that. But every night there is a set of things that you have to do in order to better understand why you're celebrating the holiday. So those things that you do every night, we're gonna be doing them together via Zoom. So we definitely wanna make sure that people register early so we can get everybody that the items that they need. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's gonna be dope. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I'm gonna, I, I, I gotta get the link from you so I can put it in the description. Okay, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so Kwanzaa is, um, that's towards the end, um, of, uh, December, right? Uh, right, right after Christmas. Yes. Kwanzaa starts on December 26th and it's seven days. So the last day of Kwanzaa is January 1st, the new year. Mm. Yeah. I remember I did like a, uh, a drumming for Kwanzaa and, um, in, in this, uh, little town called New London. Um, which doesn't look at all like a, a better London, but it's I guess yeah. New London is fitting. Um, it was it was it was it was my first time, and like I literally was just like so saddened that um I never had a chance to like properly celebrate it until I I was like twenty eight years old. I was like, wow, this is this is a whole new thing to me, and it's nice. It's great. Um, there was so many people there uh, from different nationalities of being black uh, from different countries and stuff. And they were all just like fellowshipping. It was really beautiful. And I was like, wow, all of y'all was doing this and I'm late to the party. <laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, definitely. <laughs> I get it because a lot of people they just don't know and i think that's the saddest part um about the whole thing it's just they don't know you know yeah they don't really and, teach like anything else besides whatever they want to show you about the u.s in school like it's it's really like sad i, think I feel like that would be school, such an impact exactly when i was in school i think they told us like I think I only remember hearing about Kwanzaa like once or twice, and that would have been like third grade. Mm. Mm. And but wow. I went to a German magnet school, so Hanukkah was all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh yeah, didn't but, Hanukkah just start? Happy Hanukkah to people that are celebrating Hanukkah. <laughs> yes, definitely. But I do. I think it's important for people to know, though, that Kwanzaa is not in competition with Christmas or Hanukkah. And I feel like right. a lot of people think that because of when it is. So some people say, oh, well, I celebrate Kwanzaa and not Christmas. That has mm -hmm. nothing to do with that. Kwanzaa is not about religion at all. There is no right. religious connotation or aspect that has to do with Kwanzaa. There is nothing wrong with celebrating Christmas. If you were Christian, if you were Catholic, if that is your belief, celebrate Christmas any way you damn well please. It don't matter to me because Kwanzaa has nothing to do with that. Right. The only reason, and I don't know, maybe we should talk to Dr. Maulana Karenga. I don't really know what was in his head, but mm -hmm. I personally feel like Kwanzaa is at the end of the year for a reason and they got nothing to do with the holidays. It's because the entire purpose of Kwanzaa is to almost reset ourselves. We need to do better next year. So no matter how good we did this year, no matter how much we pre progressed, next year we should be even better. So those right. seven days leading up to the new year is all about getting it together. Okay, here's what we did this previous year. Let's chop it up. Let's re reconfigure. Let's big ourselves up so that we can do even better next year. And that's why, like, what I love about Kwanzaa is the symbolism in everything and the seven principles for each day of Kwanzaa. They all mean something. And they're on that day for a reason. It's, yep. None of it is by accident. None of it is by accident. It's actually really, really dope. And what year did Kwanzaa start for my audience that don't really know? 1966. So... Kwanzaa started, Dr. Maulana Karinga, who is a professor, he's a professor now, I think at CSU in Long Beach of African-American studies. No, sorry, African studies. <laughs> Not African-American studies, African studies. So he is, um, he started Kwanzaa in 1966. This would have been right after the Watts riot that happened in LA. That's the second worst right riot in the U.S. just uh, that's second to the uh, Rodney King riots. Right. But after the Watts riot, okay, that happened. Okay, let's backtrack a little bit. History of the Watts riot. So uh, in L.A., one guy was pulled over supposedly for drunk driving, maybe. Mm -hmm. And uh, an altercation ensued between him and the officer. The officer started beating him with his baton. Uh there was a pregnant woman on scene. Oh my God. And she was harassed and kicked and abused. And so other people oh on site jumped in and it became this whole fight. And right. the fight created, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. So it turned into a riot. Now, of course, I'm definitely just watering it down, speeding it up for you. Y'all mm -hmm. can go wherever to do your research. But um, it was huge. It was huge. And so Dr. Malana Karenga at the time was realizing that we as a people, we need to do better. The riots was great and all, but it wasn't about, oh yeah, let's let's do this holiday to say that, you know, black people should be superior and this, that, the other. It wasn't about that. It was about right. we need to do better. We need to do better. I'm not not to say that there shouldn't have been a riot or anything like that, but we need to hold ourselves at a higher standard and realize that when things like this happen, we need to take real action. But we also mm -hmm. have to love ourselves. And a lot of the anger that comes out of things like this, the, the whole Rodney King situation or the George Floyd situation, everything, when those moments happen, we tend to have so much anger that it boils out and over. Right. And then it becomes a problem. And then we tend to... I don't, a lot of people might disagree with this, but then we start to lose the love for ourselves. We're coming together out of anger, but what about love? That love is mm -hmm. not there. There's not a lot of love for ourselves. Then we tend to just hate the oppressor because, okay, you're white and you hate me, so I'm going to hate you. And mm -hmm. then that's all there is. So I feel like Kwanzaa was about digging a little bit deeper into the side that most people don't want to dig down to. Most people don't want to mm -hmm. go there. 
Mm. But we have to. And so you look at the seven principles of Kwanzaa, you have unity, which is Umoja. That's the first one. That's the most important. And that's why it comes first. Because in order for us to prosper, we got to be together. We can't do this apart. We can't be divided. It's not going right. to happen. Right. So you have unity. Then you have self-determination. Because after we come together, you need to look inward and say, okay, I know I can do this. I know I can run my family the way I'm supposed to. I know I can love the people that I need to love. I know I can do this or I can do that. You need to have that self-determination. Then you need to have um, cooperative economics. You need to have uh, collective responsibility. Then you need to have uh, creativity. You need to have purpose. You need to have faith. I went completely out of order. I'm sorry. But the point is... You need to have all of those things in order for us to thrive. And that's why those are the seven principles of Kwanzaa. That's why it's so important. So on the last day, which is day seven, that's Imani, which means faith. That's Mm. at the end of all of this, at the end of the year, or I should say at the beginning of the new year, the one thing we need to walk away with is faith. Faith in ourselves. If you believe in a higher power, faith in that, but faith in our people. And that is the most hardest thing to obtain is faith in ourselves in our community in our black people because a lot of us have lost that faith but having that faith is necessary and i think that's why it's ingenious that it's on the final day of kwanzaa that's 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 beautiful let me just tell you that is beautiful you know like i'm going to make sure i get my stuff on Amazon. Should I go to Amazon? (laughs) (laughs) You can't. I actually, I've been looking for small businesses that Mm -hmm. are on Etsy because a lot of people do them themselves. There's this one guy I was working with in Ghana, but he kind of just ghosted me. So I don't know what's up. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm going to find somebody here in Nigeria to help me with the Kanara that I need and the unity cup that I need, everything Mm -hmm. that I need, they're going to carve it for me. But for those of you who are in the States, I, don't go to Amazon. Sorry. Don't go to Amazon. Don't right. go to Amazon. <laughs> go to or go to KwanzaaMe.com. That, that's you. a one-woman show. She's I don't even know that woman. I just found her yesterday, but she's doing big things. So okay, word. KwanzaaMe.com or go to Etsy and find these uh, small businesses. These people are making this stuff by hand. So That's amazing. Skip, skip Amazon. Screw them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, Jeff Bezos is a guy. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's an annoying guy. The, the dude goes to space and, and all of his workers are majority of them in pro- poverty still. Like, like, you're going to space. You can give that money to them. <laughs> exactly. I mean, we can get into that. That whole situation. His whole situation just angers me, but... <laughs> Oh my God! Well, thank you so much, Portia. This is um, so awesome. Um, I would definitely love to have you back on to the show in, in another season and stuff like that. Um, I love that. This was so informative. Um, there was a lot of great jewels uh, for people that are listening. I can't wait to put this out onto the uh, Spotify world. And all the other audio worlds. Um, this was very, very beautiful. You are very knowledgeable. I tell you, I can tell you, know your shit. Um, and you're doing a lot of great things out there in the motherland. Um, do you have any last words for my audience before we yeah. uh, depart? Um, if there's one thing. Oh, and where, where they can find you as well, too. Oh, um, I'm all over the place. It depends. Um, the Emancipation Movement <laughs> is on Instagram. Just look up Emancipation Movement, M-V-M-T, uh, there. But I guess the easiest thing to do is just go to my Facebook, my personal Facebook page. Just look up Portia, P-O-R-S-C-H-E-M, Steel. And, but there you'll see my podcast that I do with awesome. LaQuan Johnson. You'll see <laughs> the Emancipation Movement, Mystique Rose Publishing. We are on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. At Mystique Rose PS, uh, we're all over the place. So just follow me on Facebook. <laughs> follow me okay. on Facebook, and all the information is there. Okay, awesome. So I'll make sure I put your Facebook page there, and everybody will be able to get the information they need. Um, this is freaking dope. Um, 
And um, any last words? Yeah, um, I feel like this was such a great discussion, Jabari. I really appreciate you having me on the show. Um, if there's one thing that I really want your viewers to take away from this, it's just trust yourself. And yeah. I know that sounds so crazy or cliche or whatever, but I feel like we as individuals know the right thing for us, ourselves, and our community. So definitely just trust yourselves. Join us. You know, this Kwanzaa, celebrate with us. It's going to be fun. And like I said, it's free and it's virtual. So you don't even have to worry about going anywhere or getting dressed up or doing nothing. Just hop on, click register, click the link, and you're good to go. Um, but yeah, just trust yourself and, and love us. Let's not forget that love. I think that's so yeah. very important. We're always filled, we're often filled with anger and hatred and not enough love for ourselves. And that yeah. love is ultimately what drives our actions. Because when we're moved by anger, bad things happen. <laughs> but when right. we're moved by love, we can actually create something good. Right, right. Oh, man. Portia, thank you so much. Um, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank um, you. And everybody have a really good day. Thank you, Portia. Thank you so much. Collectively transforming community. And our human family Volume and unity Divine light shining individually Collectively transforming community Peace in our human family As above, so below, feel the pain in my soul, the rep he'll dissolve. Organized, no matter the cost, politicians starts wars, they don't fight, they sit in the poor. And nothing lasts forever as long as we stay together, give hell to the masses, watch the unity rapture. This is for the kids and the culture, it's one love, one growth, one light, light warriors.